Chapter 15 of The Slayer of Souls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Slayer of Souls by Robert W. Chambers. Chapter 15, A Death Trail. The way to Fool's Acre was under a tangled canopy of thorns, under rotting windfalls of grey merch, through tunnel after tunnel of fallen debris woven solidly by millions of strands of tough cat briars which cut the flesh like barbed wire. There was blood on Tressa, where her flannel shirt had been pierced in a score of places. Cleves and Selden had been painfully slashed. Silent, thread-like streams flowed darkling under the tangled mass that roofed them. Sometimes they could move upright, more often they were bent double, and there were long stretches where they had to creep forward on hands and knees through sparse wild grasses, soft, rotten soil, or the paths of sphagnum which cooled their feverish skin in velvety, icy depths. At noon they rested and ate, lying prone under the matted roof of their tunnel. Cleves and Selden had their rifles. Tressa lay like a slender boy, her briar-torn hands empty. And, as she lay there, her husband made a sponge of a handful of sphagnum moss and bathed her face and arms, cleansing the dried blood from the skin while the girl looked up at him out of grave, inscrutable eyes. The sun hung low over the wilderness when they came to the woods of Fool's Acre. They crept cautiously out of the briars, among ferns and open spots carpeted with pine needles and dead leaves, which were beginning to burn ruddy gold under the level rays of the sun. Lying flat behind an enormous oak, they remained listening for a while. Selden pointed through the woods, eastward, whispering that the house stood not far away. "'Don't you think we might risk the chance and use our rifles?' asked Cleves in a low voice. "'No, it is the Chordach that confronts us. I wish to talk to Sansa,' she murmured. A moment later, Selden touched her arm. "'My God,' he breathed. "'Who is that?' "'It is Sansa,' said Tressa calmly, and sat up among the ferns. In the next instant, Sansa stepped daintily out of the red sunlight and seated herself among them without a sound. Nobody spoke. The newcomer glanced at Selden, smiled slightly, blushed, then caught a glimpse of Cleves where he lay in the break, and a mischievous glimmer came to her slanting eyes. "'Did I not tell my lord truths?' she inquired in a demure whisper. "'As surely as the sun is a dragon, and the flaming pearl burns between his claws, so surely burns the soul of heart of flame between the gardening hands.' There are as many words as there are demons, my lord, but it is written that Niaz is the greatest of all words, save only the name of God. She laughed without any sound, sweetly malicious where she sat among the ferns. Heart of flame, she said to Tressa, you called me, and I made the effort. Darling, said Tressa in her thrilling voice, the Yezidees are making living things out of dust, as Sanang Noyan made that thing in the temple and slew it before our eyes. The Chordach said Sansa calmly. The Chordach, whispered Tressa. Sansa's smooth little hands crept up the collar of her odd blue tunic, grasped it. In the name of God the Merciful, she said without a tremor, listen to me, heart of flame, and may my soul be ransomed for yours. I hear you, Sansa. Sansa said, her fingers still grasping the embroidered collar of her tunic. Yonder behind walls, two tower chiefs meddle with the Chordach, making living things out of the senseless dust they scrape from the garden. Selden moistened his dry lips. Sansa said, The Yezidis who have come into this wilderness are Araksusu the squirrel and Tian Khan. May God remember them in hell. May God remember them, said Tressa mechanically. And these two Yezidi sorcerers, continued Sansa coolly, have advanced thus far into the Chordach, for they now roam these woods, digging like demons, 
for the roots of ginseng, and thou knowest, O heart of flame, what that indicates. Does ginseng grow in these woods? exclaimed Tressa, with a new terror in her widening eyes. Ginseng grows here, little rose heart, and the roots are as perfect as human bodies, and Tian Khan squats in the walled garden, molding the ginseng roots in his unclean hands, while Susu the squirrel scratches among the dead leaves of the woods for roots as perfect as a naked human body. All day long the Susu rummages among the trees. All day long Tiang pats and rubs and molds the ginseng roots in his skinny fingers. It is the Chordach, heart of flame, and these sorcerers must be destroyed. Are there bodies here? Arak is in the body, and thus it shall be accomplished. Listen attentively, Rose Heart of Fire. I shall remain here with... She looked at Selden and flushed a trifle. With you, my lord, and when the squirrel comes a-digging, so shall my lord slay him with a bullet. And when I hear his soul building his body farewell, then I shall make prisoner his soul and send it to the dark star, and the rest shall be in the hands of Allah. She turned to Tressa and caught her hands in both of her own. It is written on the iron pages, she whispered, that we belong to Erlik and we return to him. But in the book of gold, it is written otherwise. God preserves us from Satan who is stoned. Therefore, in the name of Allah, now then, heart of flame, do your duty. A burning flush leapt over Tressa's features. Is my soul then my own? It belongs to God, said Sansa gravely. And Sané, God is greatest. But was God there at the Lake of the Ghosts? God is everywhere. It is so written in the Book of Gold, replied Sansa, pressing her hands tenderly. Recite the Father, heart of flame. Thy lips shall not stiffen. God listens. Tressa rose in the sunset glory and stood as though dazed and all crimsoned in the last fiery bars of the declining sun. Cleves also rose. Sansa laughed noiselessly. My lord would go whither thou goest, heart of fire, she whispered, and thy ways shall be his ways. Tressa's cheeks flamed and she turned and looked at Cleves. Then Sansa rose and laid a hand on Tressa's arm and on her husband's. Listen attentively. Tian Khan must be destroyed. The signal sounds when my lord's rifle shot makes a loud noise here among the trees. Can I prevail against the Chordach? asked Tressa steadily. Is not that event already in God's hands, darling? said Sansa softly. She smiled and resumed her seat beside Selden amid the drooping fern fronds. Bid thy dear lord leave his rifle here, she added quietly. Cleves laid down his weapon. Selden pointed eastward in silence. So they went together into the darkening woods. In the dusk of heavy foliage overhanging the garden, Tressa lay flat as a lizard on the top of the wall. Beside her lay her husband. In the garden below them, flowers bloomed in scented thickets, bordered by walks of flat stone slabs split from boulders. A little lawn, very green, centered the garden. And on this lawn, in the clear twilight, still tinged with the somber fires of sundown, squatted a man dressed in a loose white garment. Save for a twisted breadth of white cloth, his head, shaven head was bare. His sinewy feet were naked too, the lean, brown toes buried in the grass. Tressa's lips touched her husband's ear. Tian Khan, she breathed. Watch what he does. Shoulder to shoulder they lay there, scarcely daring to breathe. Their eyes were fastened on the Mongol sorcerer, who squatted below on his haunches, grave and deliberate as a great gray ape, continued busy with the obscure business which so intently preoccupied him. In a short semicircle on the grass in front of him, he had placed a dozen wild ginseng roots. The roots were enormous, astoundingly shaped like the human body, almost repulsive in their weird symmetry. The Yezidi had taken one of the roots into his hands. Squatting there in the semi-dusk, he began to massage it between his long, muscular fingers, rubbing, molding, 
pressing the root with caressing deliberation. His unhurried manipulation for a few moments seemed to produce no result, but presently the ginseng root became lighter in color and more supple, yielding to his fingers, growing ivory pale, sinuously limber in a newer and more delicate symmetry. Look, gasped Cleves, grasping his wife's arm. What is that man doing? The Chordach, whispered Tressa. Do you see what lies there twisting in his hands? The ginseng root had become the tiny naked body of a woman, a little ivory-white creature struggling to escape between the hands that had created it. Dark, powerful, masterly hands, opening leisurely now and releasing the living being they had fashioned. The thing scrambled between the fingers of the sorcerer, leapt into the grass, ran a little way and hid, crouched down, panting, almost hidden by the long grass. The shocked watchers on the wall could still see the creature. Tressa felt Cleves's body trembling beside her. She rested a cool, steady hand on his. It's the Chordach, she breathed close to his face. The Mongol sorcerer is becoming formidable. Oh God, murmured Cleves. That thing he made is alive. I saw it. I can see it hiding there in the grass. It's frightened, breathing. It's alive. His, pitch, his pistol, clutched in his right hand, quivered. His wife laid her hand on it and cautiously shook her head. No, she said, that is of no use. But what the Yezidi is doing, it's blasphemous. Watch him. His mind is stealthily feeling its way among the laws and secrets of the Chordach. He has found a thread. He is following it through the maze into Hell's own labyrinth. He has created a tiny thing in the image of the Creator. He will try to create a larger being now. Watch him with his ginseng roots. Tiang, looming ape-like on his ha haunches in the deepening dusk, molded and massaged the ginseng roots one after another, and one after another, tiny naked creatures wriggled out of his palms between his fingers and scuttled away into the herbage. Already the dim lawn was alive with them, crawling, scurrying through the grass, creeping in among the flower beds, little ghostly white things that glimmered from shade into shadow like moonbeams. Tressa's mouth touched her husband's ear. It is for the secret of destruction that the Yezidi seeks, but first he must learn the secret of creation. He is learning, and he must learn no more than he has already learned. That Yezidi is a living man. Shall I fire? No. I can kill him with the first shot. Hark, she whispered excitedly, her hand closing convulsively on her husband's arm. The whip crack of a rifle shot still crackled in their ears. Tiang had leapt to his feet in the dusk, a ginseng root, half alive, hanging from one hand and beginning to squirm. Suddenly, the first moonbeam fell across the wall, and in its luster, Tressa rose to her knees and flung up her right hand. Then it was as though her palm caught and reflected the moon's ray and hurled it in one blinding shaft straight into the dark visage of Tian Khan. The Yezidi fell as though he had been pierced by a shaft of steel and lay sprawling there on the grass in the ghastly glare. And where his features had been, there gaped only a hole into the head. Then a dreadful thing occurred. From, for everywhere the grass swarmed with the little naked creatures he had made, running, scrambling, scuttling, darting into the black hole which had been the face of Tian Khan. They poured into the awful orifice, crowding, jostling one another so violently that the head jerked from side to side on the grass, a wobbling, inert, soggy mass in the moonlight. And presently, the body of Tian Khan, warden of the rampart of Gog and Magog, and lord of the seventh tower, began to burn with white fire a low, glimmering combustion that seemed to clothe the limbs like an incandescent mint. On the wall knelt Tressa, the glare from her lifted hand streaming over the burning form below. 
Cleves stood tall and shadowy beside his wife, the useless pistol hanging in his grasp. Then, in the silence of the woods, and very near, they heard Sansa laughing, and Selden's anxious voice. Arik is dead. The Susu hangs across a rock, head down like a shot squirrel. Is all well with you? Tiang is on his way to his star, said Tressa calmly. Somewhere in the world his body has bid its mind farewell, and so his body may live for a little, blind in mental darkness, fed by others, and locked in all day, all night, until the end. Sansa, at the base of the wall, turned to Selden. Shall I bring my body with me one day, my lord? She asked demurely. Oh, Sansa, he whispered, but she placed a fragrant hand across his lips and laughed at him in the moonlight. End of chapter 15